right, let's kick things off on a Tuesday edition. Welcome in to Sportsnet today. Here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. We're coming to live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Alongside my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, on this Tuesday afternoon. We are back at it, the first show post-Labor Day. Kids back in school, maybe you're back at work. We are approaching another NHL season, just days away from Penticton rookie tournament starting for the Calgary Flames training camp. Not long after that, we're coming off a great weekend. Hope you enjoyed the long weekend. Saw the Calgary Stampeders last night at McMahon Stadium. With a Labor Day classic comeback against the Elks. It's been a lot of the uh, first portion of the show talking about that. Matty Rose is going to join us in just moments. We'll take a look around the CFL with other Labor Day stories coming up with John Hodge. From Three Down Nation a little bit later on this hour. Hour two, we're going to dive into the Toronto Blue Jays with Show Ali from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. Jays and A's continuing a series from Oakland tonight. Toronto desperately in need of wins as they try to climb back into the playoff race in the American League. But last night, speaking of climbing back, potentially into a playoff race, before you even have that conversation with the Calgary Stampeders, you needed to pick up a win last night against the Edmonton Elks on the Labor Day Classic. They were back in red. Their opponents up north traveled in all whites, and it was uh, looking like it was going to be another classic Stampeders game in all the wrong for all the wrong reasons uh, at McMahon Stadium looked like a classic say, uh, scenario of what we've seen far too often from this team. Trey Ford looked phenomenal for the Elks, but 22 points in the fourth quarter, including a couple of clutch touchdown drives, leads the Calgary Stampeders to a 35-31 victory and a win they needed so so badly. In the chat about that Stampeders win, very happy. To go on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Welcome in our pal from the big show with Rustic and Rose. It is Maddie Rose. Maddie, how are you this afternoon, pal? Doing really good. Thank you. Uh, appreciate you taking the time as always, pal. Uh, look, uh, a massive win for the Calgary Stampeders. I think that was an understatement heading into this one. But what a final, what a way to, uh, to come to that win if you're Jake Mayer and company. I mentioned it coming in 22 points in the fourth quarter to uh, come back and beat your provincial rivals. Yeah, that's a big one, right? You had a situation where early on, you know, the stands get out to a 4 nothing lead, but things aren't necessarily going great. They have a couple of two-and-outs to end the first quarter, and things didn't really start to pick up for the stamps. A little bit in the second, they get going, but all this time, Trey Ford is kind of starting to get into a little bit of a rhythm. And then in the second half, we saw him really use his legs on a few different plays as maybe guys on the defensive line got a little bit um, more out of gas than they usually would be given to some of the injuries to the rotation guys. But in the end, you know, Jake Mayer pulls this thing out of the fire, leads three touchdown drives consecutively at the end of the game to, you know, not only – tie this thing up 
but he was able to get it completely over the edge and have the Stampeders take a victory over the Edmonton Elks and kind of stop their winning streak dead and, and break a tough losing streak for the Stampeders and make things just that much more interesting in the West. Although the Riders beating the Blue Bombers was an interesting wrinkle that I don't know if a, a lot of us expected, but Jake Mayer being able to go in there, lead three drives late, um, get some help from some flags, but some flags that were thrown because the receivers were making plays. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big one for the team to kind of right the ship. Now they got to get the rematch as well. And that would be a, a really big victory to kind of push the Elks even further back. What changed in that game in your mind, Maddie? Because there was a point where last night I was watching, I thought, man, it just kind of feels like the same old, same old for this group. A couple of interesting drives, including the opening one, which led to a field goal, but just kind of sputtering again at points. And then all of a sudden they were seemingly able to to turn it on and find success against this Elks defense. Do you have uh, a reason in your mind as to why they were able to flip that switch seemingly? Uh, listen, I don't know. Sometimes things just kind of have to fall into presence for you. Dave Dickinson said that they didn't protect as well as they had liked throughout the course of the game as well. They had a new left tackle, Brandon Weldon, making his CFL debut, the young 24-year-old on the left side. So there were some issues maybe early on with protection. You know, Jake Mayer not picking up a a sack and, and kind of holding on to a ball for too long, getting themselves in trouble that way. There were flags that were a problem in a couple of different drives for the team. And then they were just kind of able to put it together, almost in a sense that this is what we've expected them to do, right? You've got a lot of good receivers on this team, and you start using all of them, gets the defense on their heels. That opens things up for Kadeem Carey to work in the middle. When this team has all of their weapons and everybody is doing their job and they're not taking penalties to stop drives or the offensive line isn't giving up on Jake and kind of making him have to run for his life. Then this team, their offense actually looks decent. It's just the fact that they haven't been able to put everything together for a lot of stretches this season. And really for three quarters of that game against Edmonton, they didn't either, but Jake Mayer is able to, lead and drive. He scrambles out of the pocket and runs into the end zone for the first touchdown. Bingo. That's great for the team. Um, you had the pass interference on Luther Hakuna Vanu mm. and then Bagleton gets flagged in the end zone. Tommy Stevens comes in, punches in the one yard, one yard touchdown. And then uh, you had that free play on the third drive. AC Leonard goes offside. They throw the deep ball to Reggie Bagleton. That puts them into Elks territory with still about 10 minutes. And then they just kind of chipped away there. Uh, Deidre Mills escapes out of a little bit of a treacherous area to get that touchdown uh, to put them ahead, giving them their first lead since early on in the game. And it, to me, it was just everything coming together at once. The running backs, both Kadeem Carey and Deidre Mills, and, and everybody being able to protect and all the receivers doing their job. It felt like you know trying to move a mountain for this team to score. But you hope that those three drives to end the game will kind of project them here for the last third of the season. Yeah, that's something I wanted to sort of expand on is is how important you think that that fourth quarter was for the Calgary Stampeders. Because al- although the record hasn't been great, Maddie, you know as well as I do watching this team, they've been in games. They've been in a couple of overtime games. They've had a couple of opportunities late in fourth quarters, and they've just come up short 
whether it's been an interception or whether it's just not found the ability to to go on that late game drive that they needed to come out with a victory. Do you think this is something they can use to springboard forward? And now that Jake has a little bit of that confidence under his belt and the offense has that there too, now that they know they can go out and do it because they've actually produced it on the field in a big game. I think that it certainly helps. One of the things that Dave Dickinson talked about early on in the season with a team that had so much change, you know, this is a group that, maybe was looking for leaders to step up. They were looking for different things to kind of come from this team after all of the change that we've seen with players over the last little bit, Thurman leaving, Mitchell leaving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, given Jake Mayer the hands here. But the thing was to build confidence and to build leadership, you kind of have to have success to a certain extent. Um, Nick Bolivar Mitchell had had very many good years here. So people coming to Calgary just kind of understood that Jake Mayer doesn't have that history per se. So you've got to work a little bit harder to get to that point. And now that the guys have gone out, had a big come from behind victory, three touchdown drives to end it. The defense was able to get that clutch two and out to set up the third touchdown drive and eventually win the game. That's, confidence-building type plays, especially against Trey Ford, who looked exciting and dynamic all game yesterday. They're able to beat him, to slow him down. The the big story in the CFL for the last three-ish weeks here has been Trey Ford, and they've managed to kind of take a little bit of air out of that balloon. So I think that's certainly something that you can build on, but this is also a team that hasn't been able to really put together back-to-back games So I think that the real building block for them will come on the weekend if they can kind of take what they did in the fourth quarter and bring it up to Edmonton and and have success. That's, I think, the type of stuff that you're looking at. Okay, now you're into the bye week. Now it's the home stretch for us. Well, not really. You have two games and then another bye. But you kind of have a different feel as you get ready for those last few games, that last stretch, and you try and make the playoffs. It's going to be tough especially with the Rough Riders winning. There's still a couple wins ahead of you. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, you just got to push forward and control what you can control, right? Uh, You mentioned it a little bit earlier. I know you tweeted about it last night during the game as well. The carries probably weren't there as much as as maybe you would have expected, but the running back duo of Kadeem Carey and and Dedrick Mills really giving you that one-two punch that you would hope for if if you're Dave Dickinson and the Calgary Stampeders there. They're different players, Maddie, but when they're running like that, they're very, very effective weapons uh, for the Stampeders offense. Yeah, 100%. You know, Kadeem Carey is one of those guys. He wants, you know, 20-ish touches a game. But I think Dedrick Mills, while Kadeem Carey Carey was hurt, Mills showed that he can carry the ball, and he kind of deserves a little bit more touches here. In the end, Mills had, I think, eight touches, a couple of targets, six carries. Kadeem Carey had 13 touches, uh, four targets. He caught three of them, and then he had nine rushes as well. Ends up just shy of 90, uh, just shy of 100 yards. Mills is able to kind of get just close to 65 there, but he gets the touchdown late. And this is what I kind of expected. I thought we would see more of Diedrich Mills throughout the game, but Kadeem Carey was running well, and he wasn't showing any sign of fatigue, so they kept the guy in. Anytime he had anything, you know, too long. Granted, his longest rush was only 13 yards, but he had a a catch and run for 22. They would rotate Mills in and kind of take a little bit of heat off him. 
But I thought, especially on some of those late drives where you could really kind of tap in and use Diedrich Mills' kind of brute strength, like the way he was able to kind of pull away from the pile on the go-ahead touchdown and scramble left and, and kind of find the end zone on the play that the Stampeders really needed to have, that was big. And I don't know if he's able to do that if he's, you know, going out and like they won against Toronto a month ago, getting the 27 carries and multiple grabs. I don't know if he's got the same type of energy late in the game. So now that you've got these two stud running backs, both probably could be ones in this league. I think Diedrich Mills has certainly showed that. Um, I think that this is going to be fascinating to watch to see if they can really get in the rhythm. The biggest key is going to be both of them staying healthy and this offensive line continuing to improve week after week. But that's a pretty good first showing for both these guys being able to be completely healthy for the first time here in a little bit. Matt Rose along with us from the big show with Rustic and Rose, one of our Stampeders reporters here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. I want to talk about the other side of the ball with you for a bit, Maddie, because that defense was under siege. Trey Ford, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get to him in a minute. He was absolutely dynamic, finding ways to escape pressure and, and find the open receiver, just do it with his legs. But the Stampeders were really able to to sort of clutch down on him a bit, I thought, clamp down on him a bit later as the game went on. Uh, I thought he looked tired as the fourth quarter got on, and who can blame him? Uh, he was running all over the place. But, you know, for those guys like Micah Alway and Cam Judge who have that sort of secondary responsibility of finding a guy like him, it, it took a while for them to find their feet and try to catch up to a guy like that. It certainly did. And, like, listen, this this is an offensive group that once they changed over to Trey Ford quarterback and you look at them on the depth chart, it's a pretty formidable group. Eugene Lewis had missed a whole bunch of time early on in the season. I'm sure that didn't help Taylor Cornelius, but I don't think that was also the difference between him and Trey Ford. And now Geno Lewis is back. Steven Dunbar has shown that he can play really well, especially with Trey Ford. He's been scoring touchdowns at will seemingly since Ford has taken over a quarterback there. Um, Kyron Moore, who threw the touchdown, that's a guy who's had a lot of success in Saskatchewan, but hasn't really been able to put it together in Edmonton for the last few weeks is really starting to come around. Like that's a group on offense that you really have to pay attention to. And now you've got Trey Ford, who looks like, you know, when Kyler Murray was running around and, and the Cardinals were actually good in the NFL a couple of years ago, <laughs> just gets out of the pocket. He's not the biggest guy. He kind of runs around and you've got these huge defensive linemen diving at his feet and they look silly because he's small, but he's so fast. And he's hard to get. And he's elusive, but the Stampeders were able to force him to throw late in the game. They got that key two and out. You know, they only had a, uh, a two and out for the defense in the first quarter, and they didn't have another one until the very last drive of the game. And that's when they needed it most. The three minute warning had already come and gone. The Stampeders were down. They needed to keep the field goal to tie it after getting the two point convert on the play prior. And the defense goes out. They're able to get the trade forward on the first play. They have to make them throw on the second play. The throw is completely off because they have pressure in his face and they don't let him scramble out and get the first down. That to me was one of the biggest stops for the group in the entire game. You know, they only end up with like the, the counting stats were great for the San Peter's defense yesterday. And Trey Ford did run for 135 yards, but he has also less than 200 yards passing. So 
you take your wins where you can. Uh, I think for a lot of these guys, first time seeing Trey Ford, now you know what to expect. They did have some key injuries on that defense, yeah. too, on the defensive line. Uh, sounds like Titus Law and Michael Griffin might both be done for the year. Both those guys play your SAM position, so all of a sudden you have a shuffle in your secondary once again. And really the only position where they've been able to have a healthy guy all season long. So that's another fun wrinkle for Dave Dickinson on a short week of practice. But um, something to build on, at least, when you're going up against Trey Ford again here in Edmonton on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I know, uh, as you mentioned, those injuries that you're, you've been a big fan of, and I have too, of what Titus Wall is able to provide from that Sam linebacker spot. It's such a, a unique position, Maddie, because you've got to be able to cover. You also have to be able to come up and, and, and you know make a tackle pretty close to the line of scrimmage at times if you're in that Sam linebacker spot and for the Stamps to drop two guys in that position. It, it's going to be, a, you mentioned, it's going to be a tough one for Dave Dickinson uh, to figure out heading into this Labor Day rematch. Yeah, Nick Stats had to play a lot more than I think a lot of people expected in that Labor Day game, which is great for Nick Stats, the former Dino, the Calgary product. But he was your kind of second backup defensive back, and you lose Titus Wall in the first defensive play of the game. You lose Michael Griffin on a special teams play in the second half, and all of a sudden it's or, or late in the first half, if I'm not mistaken, and all of a sudden you're down to six defensive backs and hoping everyone can just stay healthy for the rest of the game or else you got to really start getting creative here. So I'm not entirely sure what the group is going to try and do for a replacement there. Um, Brandon Dozer has been their safety all season, but he can also play the Sam position. So I wonder if that's a, a change that they look at just being kind of the utility knife that Brandon Dozer can be. But then you start looking at the practice roster and the injury list. Like, does this mean Brad Muhammad comes in and plays halfback? Does Shaq Richardson come in and play uh, the Sam position, which he has played before in the past? It's just the problem is it's another shuffle to a secondary that I thought had a pretty solid game. You know, Eugene Lewis had a couple good drives where he stood out, but for the most part, that group of Roberson, Kobe Williams, Brandon Dozer, Shaq Richardson, and for a lot of it, Nick Stats and Jim Jonathan Moxie, I thought they played pretty well, but now you got to put it all in the blender again and try and figure it out before Saturday. Uh, and last but not least, we sort of raised an eyebrow about uh, Mike Rose coming in and, and being listed at the defensive end spot. He, he played mostly uh, at his normal spot of the D tackle, but again, that Stampeders D-line, Kind of one that's you know been a, a bit of a question mark since James Vodders went down and that trade for Jagera Davis never happened and uh, they were probably the group that at, I'm not going to say at fault the most but they were probably the group that had to struggle the most with a quarterback running around as much as Trey Ford did uh, on Monday. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like the the thing about the depth charts this year is the CFL has instituted these new designated American rules, which I actually don't, I actually like the rules, the idea of the rules, but they are complicated and they have made the depth charts an absolute mess to look at. Like Reggie Bagleton was listed as a backup to Cole Tucker on the depth chart. And that's just not something that that's not it. Reggie Bagleton is the starter, right? So, Mike Rose being on the outside to me, I don't know. It felt like just one of those kind of uh, you have to put guys in certain places on the depth chart for the CFL rules, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The biggest thing here is that they like to go with a group of eight and they dressed eight. The only problem was 
there were several guys who were kind of making their first playing time in quite some time. Keelan Thomas uh, hurt his shoulder last game, barely practiced, but he dressed for the contest. And then Terrell McClain and Aaron Donker both dressed. They have one extra defensive lineman on their practice squad right now, but they had a couple of in-practice injuries to Mike Moore and TJ Ram, which put them real shorthanded for their defensive guys. They like to rotate through there a lot. Um, they basically went through and did exactly what we expected them to do. It was a lot of Wigan, a lot of Rose, a lot of Hauser, a lot of Adiami Berglund. Terrell McLean got quite a bit of work in the middle. Elliot Graham actually was in the backfield a few times, but just could not get his hands on Trey Ford. Um, that's just kind of the part of the problem right now. And you just hope that maybe Ram uh, or maybe Mike Moore are able to get healthy for the rematch here on Saturday. But uh, um, I'm sure if either of them are going to be able to go, actually Mike Moore was put on the sixth game, so he's definitely not going to be able to go. But uh, TJ Ram on the one game injured list. We'll see if he can return for this game Saturday. Uh, looking forward to it, man. It's a big win for the Stampeders on Labor Day, and the rematch is always just as interesting up in Edmonton. Appreciate you hopping on today, pal. Stay alive, baby. It's all you can do. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Take care. Matty Rose from the big show with Russick and Rose every Monday to Friday here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. or wherever you get your favorite podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify. Uh, join us after a big Stampeders win on Labor Day, 35-31 over the Edmonton Elks. And then, yes, a bit of a shorter week this week as they get set for the rematch up the road in Edmonton as part of week 14. It is a Saturday, September 9th, kickoff 5 p.m., 4 and 8 stamps, 2 and 10 Elks. The week kicks off on Friday with the Ticats taking on the Ottawa Red Blacks. Saturday, a triple header of action. Montreal, Toronto kick things off at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. Riders and Bombers for the Banjo Bowl is at 2 o'clock as the middle game on Saturday. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We're going to keep the CFL conversation going. Checking in on the other results on Labor Day weekend. BC, Saskatchewan, Toronto all picking up wins as we head into the second half of the CFL season. Time to check in with our pal John Hodge from Three Down Nation. More CFL football chatter around the corner here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We started the hour with a look at the Calgary Stampeders and their massive win on Labor Day against the Edmonton Elks. But that wasn't the only storyline on Labor Day weekend across the CFL. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Yes, week 13 with plenty of storylines to look at outside of Calgary and Edmonton. And uh, plenty to get excited about as we head into week 14 on Friday when Hamilton takes on Ottawa. And uh, just chat about that and more. Very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Guest hotline this afternoon. Welcome in our pal from Three Down Nation. Very happy to welcome in John Hodge this afternoon. John, thanks as always, sir. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, Biggest storyline coming out of Labor Day weekend to John Hodge would be what? Well, there's a few of them. I mean, I think the two biggest storylines would have to be the Calgary Stampeders saving their season. And I think the second one would have to be the headbutt from Pete Robertson to Zach Kolaris that took place after the play. I mean, and when I say the Calgary, you know, saved their season, I really think that's true. Like, had that team fallen to three and nine, you're in a situation where you've now got to make up six points against Saskatchewan. That's going to be awful tough with how Jake Dolagala has taken on that team and won two starts over over strong West Division opponents. And then you look at the East Division and 
You've got the Ticats and the Red Blacks. To cross over, Calgary's going to have to be better than one of those teams, and they happen to play this week. So, you know, going to four wins, four and eight, I mean, it's hardly a, a, a vaunted record there in Cowtown. It's certainly not what Stampeders fans are used to seeing. But suddenly there is hope, there is life there. And uh, as much as the Stamps were unable to corral Trey Ford as he ran up and down the field, they, they got it done when it mattered most with those three late touchdowns. Uh, let's go to Saskatchewan because I feel like that's probably the one that, that comes with a lot of the history and a lot of the, the storyline from this weekend. Um, aside from the headbutt, which we'll get to obviously in a moment here, that's a massive win for this Saskatchewan team, just given how, as you mentioned, John, things have gone in Calgary this year, uh, just given their spot in the standings for, for Saskatchewan to potentially split and, hey, maybe even take two of two from Winnipeg in this situation uh, has to be a good look for, for Craig Dickinson and company right now. Yes, and I mean, the, the headbutt, I think, has unfortunately taken away some of the attention from just how impressive the win was. I mean, if you go back a season, Craig Dickinson, looking back at 2022, once it was over and he was asked, you know, what was the turning point for your team? The game that he pointed to was Labor Day because Winnipeg kicked a 55-yard field goal to win that game late, 20-18. to 18. And after that, the Riders were toast. I don't think they won another game. And... He, he pointed to, you know, that the team was defeated. And, and I mean, for the Banjo Bowl, half the team was sick and, and vomiting and everything else. Like, like there, were, there were other mitigating circumstances. There was the Garrett Marino fiasco. But Craig Dickinson himself pointed to the Labor Day Classic loss as, as the reason his team was demoralized last season and the day that their, their season ultimately ended ahead of a, a fourth-place finish in the West at 6-12. and 12. This year, the Riders have flipped the script. Right, they they stared the bombers down. This is a team that won at Mosaic Stadium, Winnipeg did by 17 points in Week Two, and then they go in this past week, Week 13, Labor Day weekend, and the Riders beat them fair and square. I mean, the the, the running game didn't get going for the Riders, but Jake Olegal did enough late. Um, the Riders' defense was swarming. Zach Kolaris completed five passes in the first three quarters. That's ridiculous. Um, and and on special teams, I mean, Mario Alford was giving the Riders instant field position. And the Riders' cover teams were great. So, you know, the Riders arguably won the game in all three phases. I, I honestly thought the score flattered Winnipeg a little bit as, as much as Brady Oliveira had a couple of nice touchdown runs. Zach Kolaris eventually did finish the game with two touchdown passes. But, um, you know, the Riders have gone from being a team kind of like Montreal that's in no man's land a little bit. Like, you know, they're not struggling, but they're not in the top tier of teams. We've got them right now at three down nation at fourth in our power rankings and, you know, BC, granted, they had a nice win in Montreal this past week. But right now, I think you can make an argument that Saskatchewan should even be a little bit higher and potentially ahead of the BC Lions. Uh, let's dive into it because I know there's a lot of talk about it, and, and rightfully so. It was uh, a talk-worthy play. Pete Robertson, the headbutt, uh, aside from just the stupidity of where it was in the game and the, the impact it could have had on the team, uh where did you you see it as far as the CFL and how they handled it? Because I believe a lot of people in Winnipeg were upset the flag came pretty late. And then seemingly, as far as the CFL suspension goes, John, I can't remember one handed out quite as quick from the league in, in any scenario. Uh, it seemed like the league was was pretty keen to, to get this suspension handed out uh, as soon as possible. Well, and, and I mean, we'll talk about the, the headbutt in a moment. But first, I do think that 100% the league deserves credit for coming up 
with this solution very quickly. I mean, there's no reason to delay this decision. It was a flagrant late hit to the head of a quarterback. And though all quarterbacks deserve to be protected equally under the letter of the law in the CFL, you know, it it does also, I think, change things a little bit when it's the two-time reigning most outstanding player and someone who has suffered, I believe it's at least five reported concussions over his decade-long CFL career. And again, that's just what's reported. We don't know how many concussions Zacharias has had. Now, no, he wasn't injured, though he did have to leave the game momentarily with the injury spotter. But at the end of the day, what, what really made this egregious was that it happened so late, the officials missed it. I'm not making excuses for the officials. They still should have seen it. But had the command center not stepped in and had the power to, to step in and assess an unnecessary roughness penalty, we would have gone unpenalized. And I've received dozens of messages from Ryder fans claiming that Zach Kolaris flopped and he, you know, he looked like a European soccer player out there and all that stuff. I'm sorry, you can't watch that replay and not see that he was hit hard enough to knock him over. And obviously he wasn't expecting to get a hit to the head at that point. The play had long since happened. As for the Riders, there was a, a pretty built-in, like baked-in natural consequence, which was Winnipeg was, was essentially heading off the field to try a field goal. And it gave Winnipeg a, a fresh set of downs, which obviously was, was why I characterized the hit as idiotic from Pete Robertson, because it, it essentially gave Winnipeg three fresh cracks from the from the two-yard line, which they immediately got the touchdown on the next play. But, you know, Zach Kolaris has been very vocal about this in the past. He, he After the Edmonton win a few weeks ago, when he got hit in the head by Coney Ely, wasn't penalized even upon review, said the CFL has never cared about protecting quarterbacks. He was very vocal in interviews again this week. He even said that some quarterbacks in the CFL would still be playing, guys who who have had to retire because the league did not do a good enough job of protecting quarterbacks. And I get that you know fans don't necessarily like it, media doesn't necessarily like it. When a quarterback has a little love tap on the head and a, and a guy gets a penalty for roughing the passer, but at the end of the day, people are not paying hard-earned money or tuning in on a, on a Friday night to watch, you know, weak side linebackers run blitzes. They're tuning in because they want to see long touchdown passes and exciting open offensive football. That is what the CFL is known for. Not three-yard runs up the gut. The CFL is known for 45-yard throws across the field. And we can't do that in this league without top-tier quarterbacking. And so that's why it's important that quarterbacks are protected, and that's why Zach Kolaris has been so frustrated because he obviously doesn't feel as though he's been protected well enough. Mm -hmm. And speaking on behalf of other quarterbacks, he also said that he doesn't think any quarterbacks in this league are protected enough. Is there a, is there still a battle to be had? I know standings wise there is between Winnipeg and BC, but is there still in your mind, John, a battle for who the top team is in the West between BC and Winnipeg? Yeah, and I mean, it's going to come down to October 6th. That's the game that is left on the schedule between Winnipeg and BC. The season series is split currently at one game apiece. The season series will be decided approximately one month from today. And the reason why BC's win was so big and Winnipeg's loss was so big is because BC had actually lost the ability to determine their own playoff future, right? They were behind Winnipeg by four points. Yeah, you could beat Winnipeg head-to-head in October. That doesn't matter if you're still trailing by two points when the season's over, now BC is within striking distance. They're two points back with that game between the two clubs 
still set to be played. I personally don't see Saskatchewan in that mix right now at six and five. However, that would change if the Riders win the Banjo Bowl for a couple of reasons. One, they would be only two points back of BC, four points back of Winnipeg. I mean, that, that does depend, of course, on what the Lions do. But the Riders have also played one fewer game than BC and Winnipeg. So they've got a chance to move up there. Also, the Riders would then have the season series against Winnipeg. That is currently split up one game apiece. That could come into it. So I think the Riders could even get into that mix with a potential win. It's going to be a very tough place to win. I'm sure IG Field, I mean, the IG Field is rocking at the best of times. I'm sure the fans, especially after where the Labor Day Classic went, are going to be off the chain in Winnipeg come Saturday. But you never know. Saskatchewan outclassed Winnipeg on the field on Sunday. Who's to say they couldn't do it again on Saturday? John Hodge along with us, our pal from Three Down Nation, breaking down Labor Day weekend across the CFL. Uh, one place that wasn't rocking because they didn't have much to cheer about was Hamilton. Uh, man, if you're the Toronto Argonauts, you hand Chad Kelly that kind of contract extension. He goes out and plays like that uh, against your provincial rivals. you got to be feeling pretty good if you're the Argos sitting at 9-1 and one after Labor Day, John. Yeah, I mean, the... the- <laughs> The East final, I believe, will take place on November 11th. That's the Saturday ahead of Grey Cup, which is the following Sunday on the 19th. And if I was a Toronto Argonauts fan, I would already know exactly what I'm doing on Remembrance (laughs) Day, and that's sitting at BOMO Field watching the East final. This team has two games coming up back-to-back against the Montreal Alouettes. If they win one of them, in my opinion, that should be enough to get them that game. If they sweep it, I mean, the Argos' last six games are going to be for nothing. And let's not forget, the Argos have played one fewer game than every other team in the East Division. So they've got a six-point lead plus a game in hand. And as much as the Alouettes have, you know, they have a winning record right now, they're six and five. All of Montreal's wins have come against teams not in the top three of the CFL at the moment. By the top three, I mean Toronto, Winnipeg, and BC. They are 6-0 and against everybody else. But the point is they haven't beaten anybody who's who's in that top tier of teams right now. And I think they're going to have an awfully tough time doing that, at least at least sweeping the series. That's really what Montreal would have to do, I think, to, to seriously contend for the top spot. But I, I do not see that happening. I think Toronto has been too good. And frankly, I thought the score, it ended up being 41 to 28 for the Argos. I thought that score really flattered the home side. And that's not to disrespect Hamilton. They had a very impressive win the previous week against Hamilton, but Toronto got out to a 17, nothing lead. And then they just looked like they completely took their foot off the gas. They were like, they were like a cat toying with its prey. Like they, they did not even look interested in the second and third quarters. And then finally, when Hamilton got something going, Toronto kind of looked around and went, okay, I guess we'll score a couple more touchdowns. And I think they scored on four straight drives to close that game out. So Toronto is, is not only pasting their rival teams right now, they're doing so, when it looks like, you know, for, for half the game, they're moving at half speed just because they don't need to go any faster. And um, that's not good news for anybody else in the CFL right now, especially in that East division. For the Ticats, John, is this a situation where they're kind of waiting for Bo Levi Mitchell to come back and see if he can be the spark that saves this season? I don't want to, I don't want to throw away what Taylor Powell's done because I think he's exceeded a lot of expectations, but it hasn't necessarily turned into results while he's been the starter? Well, I, I don't blame you if you haven't looked at the stats because the CFL stats are uh, atrocious. Yeah. But with that being said, Bolivar Mitchell has three touchdown passes to nine interceptions this year. And granted, he, he came back 
did lead the uh, did lead the Thai Cats to a win over the Red Blacks, but you know the, the point is he he was not remotely sharp this season, and now coming back, he would have to do that after missing. You know, at this point, he's, I believe missed six weeks. He he would out or at least five. He's been out since the end of July. He's not coming back this week. That puts him out to six weeks, and then after that. We'll have to wait and see. I, I, I don't believe personally that Bolivar Mitchell is going to spark this team. You know, he, he's still going to be a Hall of Famer. I still have a lot of respect for his resume, but but do I see him as the savior in Steeltown? No. I, I think if anyone's going to spark this offense, it would be Matthew Schultz, who who frankly played better. I mean, Bolivar Mitchell, the three quarterbacks that Ticats have started this year, Bolivar Mitchell's been at the bottom of the pile, in, in my opinion. And um, I don't think he's played at a high level in the CFL since 2018 when he won his second MLP award. So still, again, all the respect in the world for Bolivar Mitchell dating Calgary. But if Hamilton is, is relying upon Bo to come in and save things late, after all, they are hosting the Grey Cup in November. I think that that is, is, is false hope. I think that they need to focus on who's there right now. They need to continue to develop Taylor Powell, surround him with the best weapons, put in good game plans. Um, they already changed their offensive coordinator this year. Scott Milanovic, they're now running that unit uh, because I, I don't think Bolivar Mitchell is walking through that door or at least certainly not the version of Bolivar Mitchell that the Ticats were hoping they would get when they signed him to a three-year deal this offseason. As we head into to week 14, we'll see a couple of uh, rematches. Obviously, the, the Labor Day rematch between Calgary and Edmonton, the Banjo Bowl is going to happen, but is this another case where we start the week off Hamilton and Ottawa with one of those, you know, very similar to how we ended off the week here in Calgary, where look, it feels like a big game for these two teams just based on the standings. But as far as, you know, talking about the top dogs and the real gray cup contenders, we're still not in that conversation when we talk specifically, John, about Hamilton and Ottawa kicking things off on Friday. Well, I mean, right now these two teams are, are not playing exciting brands of football. I mean, the, the toughest team to watch through the first half of the season was Edmonton and Trey Ford of the last month have, have made, at least in my opinion, the Elks appointment viewing the run that he had yesterday, the 33 yard scamper was one of the best plays of the season. He's been electric. So Ottawa and Hamilton have not been super exciting teams to watch. The Red Blacks have lost a lot of their games close, like they're three and eight on the season yet their point differential is only minus 32 like they just have to find a way to close out some of these close games um i don't love their defense right now dustin crumb i think has been fine he hasn't kind of taken that next step though that is a lot to ask of a guy who started out the season as a number three taylor powell by the way in hamilton exact same scenario raw rookie out of the mac conference down south who started off the year as a number three, now being asked to lead a team possibly to the playoffs. But both of these teams, despite the fact that they play in the East division are in the same boat, which is to say they not only have to beat each other for a playoff spot, but they now have to look over the West for Calgary. I don't see the Stampeders catching any of the three teams in the West division that are currently ahead of them. If Calgary is going to make the postseason, they're probably going to have to do it through the East division. And to do that, they'd have to be, at least one game better or at least have one more point in the standings than Hamilton and Ottawa. So the winner of this game between Hamilton and Ottawa, not only have to look out for each other the rest of the way, if they're hoping to squeak into that playoff spot in the East division, they're going to have to look across the country to Cowtown as well. Uh, Biggest game on the week 14 schedule. Where would your eyes go, John? 
To me, I, and maybe I'm biased because I'm in Winnipeg, but but to me, the biggest game of this week is, is Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. I mean, you've got the added attention of the Pete Robertson headbutt. You've got some steaming mad fans in Winnipeg about that headbutt. You've got some steaming mad fans coming over from Regina <laughs> who are mad about the suspension. Like, this is the game of the three. And by the way, I don't like the triple headers um, especially trying to cover the middle game live. It means yes. I end up missing almost the entire first game and they end up missing almost the entire third game. Um, now that's me selfishly just talking about myself, <laughs> but I also don't know how fans across the country, unless you have a, a wonderfully crafted crevice in your couch specifically designed for your own butt. I don't know how you sit and watch football for nine hours um, as much as uh, I suppose some NFL fans do that on Sundays all through the year. But uh, anyway, that's the game of the four that's drawing the attention of, at, at least for me. And it's not just the rivalry because obviously there's a great rivalry between Calgary and Edmonton, Hamilton and Ottawa are fighting for that postseason spot. Montreal, Toronto are, are jockeying for position a little bit, but on top of the rivalry on top of the standings, you've got this heated incident now that frankly, both teams seem, seem upset about. And uh, we'll have to see if tempers boil over, uh, at IG Field on Saturday. John, appreciate the time as always, sir. Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Enjoy week 14. We'll check in with you again next week, hey? Thanks, anytime. Thank you. John Hodge joining us from 3 Down Nation, the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Yes, 13 weeks in the books in the CFL. Stan Peters, uh, we chatted with them about you know earlier this hour with Matty Rose, now up to 4-8. and eight. Uh, Probably looking more towards the crossover now than they ever have given the fact, like we mentioned, that it's a huge win for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, 32-30 in OT against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Keeps that gap, you know, a significant one. The Stampeders obviously can go on a run and, and change things up, but it gives the Riders at least a cushion here, and that's what they've needed to do. Uh, and look, I, I think, in all fairness, the Stampeders put up a good fourth-quarter performance against Edmonton. Um, there were times where it certainly looked like they could have lost that game, so... I don't think it's fair to say that they're going to walk into Edmonton on Saturday and pick up a win and uh, put a lot of pressure on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders by any means, but those things can happen. But if you're the Stampeders, obviously right now the the path to a playoff spot certainly looks easier in the East where Montreal is also 6-5, and five, but Hamilton at 4-7, and seven, Ottawa at 3-8 are you know right alongside where you are right now and Hamilton and Ottawa meet this week. So one of those teams is going to take another loss and uh, be even potentially further back from the Calgary Stampeders. That's going to be important. And, and look, even the Montreal Alouettes, who I, I think are a better team right now than the Stampeders, they have to take on the 9-1 and Argos in Toronto. That's not an easy task. So maybe the Stampeders, if they can go out and sweep this Labor Day set against the Oaks, like we've talked so much about, that this is so important to them uh, because they have the bye week coming up after that. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves taking on Montreal. Uh, they've got games against Hamilton coming up. They've got games, uh, you know, to, to finish out this season uh, against teams like Saskatchewan uh, in Week 19. So things are going to really come down to the wire for the Calgary Stampeders. Not going to matter if they don't pick up the wins that they need to. They did that on Monday. That was the good news. Uh, it looked great on Labor Day uh, in those black unis coming out against the Elks and picking up that win. But, uh, again, appreciate John Hodge joining us. Uh, from Three Down Nation, you want to check out any of his stuff. He's available on Twitter at John D. Hodge. You can check him out at threedownnation.com. On the other side, 
going to jump into a little bit of hockey talk as the calendar has flipped into September. We're officially in the month of the Penticton uh, rookie tournament for the Calgary Flames. Training camp is right around the corner. We have preseason hockey this month in in town. We're getting excited about that. I'm going to check in on your excitement level for the upcoming NHL season, plus the Blue Jays in the midst of a very important series against the Oakland A's. They need to pick up wins against some of these lower opponents if they want to continue to pick up ground for an AL wildcard playoff spot. They've done a little bit of that, maybe not as much as they should have, uh, but they're dealing with a lot of injuries right now, and some of those guys from AAA Buffalo have stepped up big time. We'll dive into that in hour two with Sho Ali. He's going to join us from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. That will be hour two. It's coming up next. You're listening to Sportsnet 960, the fan.